0: Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus.
1: Perfect. What do I do? <laughs> I'd like to pray for us as a church and uh, would you all bow your heads for me and we'll pray for Pastor as he comes up to bring the word this morning. Father, we thank you. Lord, I was reminded as we sang and as we worshipped you this morning that Lord, we all walk in places that we do not understand. We do not understand that we walk in the presence of a holy God. We stand before you at times with with a lack of reverence in our mind, with words that come out of our mouth that that do not demonstrate a, a reverence for the image that you have created people to be in. And yet, Lord, you are merciful. You are a merciful God. And we thank you. We thank you this morning that we get the opportunity to stand in your presence, to lift our hands, to worship you. And yet, Lord, we all stand here as sinners who falls short of the glory that you are. And so, Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, whose gospel is spreading around the world faster than many of us can imagine in places that we would never even imagine where the gospel is spreading, Iran, Africa. Father, may your word continue to spread. May when the gates that are lifted off of China, Father, may, we re- may you reveal to us the number of people that have come to know And follow Jesus Christ, your son. May you continue to send your missionaries to those places. Father, there are plenty of places here too. May you rise up a generation that has an awe and a reverence for you and your son Jesus. And may they continue to share your good word with their neighbors. Lord, that one day we would be able to all see your son Jesus Christ face to face. To know him. And to hold his hand. Father, we do come to you this morning all with the brokenness of our hearts in this world that at times does not make sense. So, Father, I pray that as Pastor Mike comes to bring your word this morning, that truly, Lord, your word would illuminate and open up our hearts and our minds, that we would see you, God, and that although things do not make sense, we would have faith and place our faith and the one who does see it all and understands it all and knows it all. Would you do that for us this morning? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Before you leave, um, do you know where those peanuts were grown? I know that the peanuts were grown in New Danville, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just wanted you to say that. (laughs)
0: Many people don't know that peanuts are grown in New Danville. And the truth of the matter is, New Danville's soil is such that it could grow even orange groves and lemon groves and We would have known had you shared
1: the peanuts with us.
0: Well, yeah, we have a non-complete cause with uh, Florida not to grow oranges in New Danville to compete. So, New Danville is just, well, it's the center of the universe. Enough of that. We have a lot of fun around here. And, uh, and that's a good thing. You want a church in which your pastors love each other and enjoy each other, amen? amen? And really care about each other. And I'd like to know how you knew that the second drawer down next to my computer was where my candy was. <laughs> you know, it's a mad, mad world that we live in. A mad, mad world. Jake Farnham, the pastoral assistant who serves at our Conestoga Partnership, was the one that I asked to put together, the series on the Book of Ecclesiastes. And when he brought to the company of preachers, that's the name that we give to all the preachers who sit together and pray together and, and envision together the messages that we'll be preaching. When he brought it to our table and we looked over the, the course of the messages, it was wonderful. And then he had five suggestions for titles for the series. And the very first one was this one: It's a Mad Mad World. And when I read that, I said, That's it, that's the title. For this series because this is not just a mad world this is a doubly mad world that we live in it is a mad mad world and ecclesiastes captures that truth so well you know most often we equate the word mad interchangeably with the word angry but that is not the first definition of mad in the dictionary the first definition of mad in the dictionary is disordered chaotic and insane. In fact, in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, this is the first definition that's given. It is disordered, chaotic, insane, completely unrestrained by reason and judgment. And yet there is a second definition for mad. And it's the second definition for mad that as I read it, aptly describes how I have personally experienced life. Maybe you have as well. Mad also means incapable of being explained or accounted for. Incapable of being explained or accounted for. Let's be honest this morning. We have all had experiences in life that just don't make sense. They raise for us more questions than they give answers. They cannot be explained, and frankly, any attempt at explaining them seems feeble and even hollow. And so they drive us to God with cries of lament. Why God? How long, O Lord? And if they don't drive us to God with cries of lament, too many times they drive us into silent suffering, and even for some, further away from God. Now these experiences not only take place on a personal level, but they also take place on a much wider worldwide level. And how many times have you questioned and wrestled with the injustices and the inequities that you see around the world, the disasters and the tragedies, and frankly, you just sit and you grieve. It's a madness for which we have no answers. So then what do we do? How shall we then live in this mad, mad world where life doesn't always make sense? I want to introduce you again today to Solomon, king of Israel, son of David, a man who has written several books in the Bible, the Old Testament, that we call wisdom literature. Isn't that interesting? And has written the book of Ecclesiastes, which has been the subject of our fall study. And I want to draw attention to several truths this morning as we wrestle with the truth that this world doesn't always make sense. The very first thing that I want you to notice in the scriptures this morning is that Solomon had questions and concerns about life, and he voiced them to God. He had questions and concerns about life, and he voiced them to God out loud and often. You know, a lot of us wonder whether we really are allowed to do that. Can you ask God really hard questions? Even when your tone isn't the best because you're really struggling, you're really wrestling, is that allowed? Does God invite that? Will he listen to us when we do that? And Solomon learned that that is a good thing to do and a necessary thing to do. That when you have questions, when you have concerns, voice them to God out loud and even often. Solomon did that all through the book of Ecclesiastes. From Ecclesiastes chapter 1 to chapter 12, some of you have said to me, my goodness, he's like all over the map when you're reading this book. It's like somebody gave him too much sugar in the morning. He's like bouncing here, there, and everywhere. That is Solomon. And he has lots of questions. So I chose five of them. Five questions and concerns about life. And I'd like to look at them with you this morning as we come to understand that all of us have questions in life. So the first one is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. I'd like you to read this with me aloud. Reading together. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. Now this falls in the category That Isaiah gives us of calling good evil and evil good. And have you noticed in the world in which we live that is very much what is taking place. And even good people are called evil. Even good people are given a difficult time in the world in which we live because they're measured not by the values that we once held dear as good and godly but by the values of the culture. This is nowhere better seen then on the political scene, just a little bit of lightheartedness right now, but I think some of you have heard me say this years ago, and that is that when I retire as pastor, I always envisioned that I wanted to run for political office and become a county commissioner. And then on Saturday mornings, I would go to every fire company around the, the county and have breakfast and greet people and welcome them and shake hands because two things I love to do, eat good food and also I love people and I love to talk to people. But I would never run for office. Not now. Not now. Because of what people are put through when they run for office. Good and godly people, they would find out about my speeding ticket from 1981. (laughs) And friends, it was downhill. I mean, come on. And my grandfather always said, be careful on the brakes, you don't want to replace them too often. So I wasn't using the brakes that day. I mean, you know, going down. Anvil, they caught me at the bottom. But they would take that thing and blow that out because that's what they do today. My goodness, you don't want to be nominated for a judgeship at the federal level because your family will suffer if you're good and if you're godly. It's madness. Secondly, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. Read this with me. I have seen everything in this meaningless life including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. Why do the good die young? In my 36 years in pastoral ministry, the most difficult visits that I have ever made were to the children's hospitals at Johns Hopkins and Hershey Medical, the most difficult funerals, the funerals of the children of my church members. Why cancer? Why accidents? Why tragedies? Why in the prime of life? These are real questions, aren't they? You've asked them, haven't you? I sure have. Look again at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Read it with me. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. According to Open Doors Christian Ministry, over the last year, 360 million Christians have suffered persecution because they have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. 5,895 Christians have died for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 5,110 churches and Christian buildings have been destroyed because They are places where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And so I ask, why do the oppressors in North Korea, China, Russia, 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 Belarus, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, and other nations have so much power? when their victims are so helpless. And then there's a fourth. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. So I said to myself, Solomon writes, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all meaningless, for the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. And the days to come... Both of them will be forgotten. What, what, what sense is there to try to live a wise and a godly life? When you come to the same end, full or wise, what will people remember me for, and will they even remember me at all? Many of you know that Jenny and I cared for a number of years for my 96-year-old Aunt Janet, And Ann Janet's idea of a fun afternoon was to go to a cemetery somewhere in York County and send me out looking for her long-lost relatives. I think they're over there, somewhere in those 20 different rows. Just keep looking, you'll find them. And that's what we used to do. And one day I came back to the car and I said to her, did you ever notice what's on a tombstone? Well, yes. I said, yeah, the birth date and the death date. And then, do you ever notice what's in the middle? She said, No. I said, A dash. Yeah. I said, So that's what life comes to a dash. You were born in 1925, Aunt Janet. You're going to die in some year. We're going to have those two dates. What's the dash? Well, they won't remember me. I said, I will. Most people won't. I said, You'd be surprised. But you know what? If we're honest, most of us have had that question, haven't we? What will they remember about us? What in the world will they say about us, Andy, someday at Thanksgiving in our respective homes when we are long gone? What will they laugh about when they bring up the name Andy or Mike? Did you ever think about that? How about another one? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Solomon writes, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Read the rest with me. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. What will those girls do with everything in our basement? (laughs) I'm very grateful that in heaven there is no crying, mourning, or pain because when they offload a dumpster in my driveway after I'm there, it would really upset me. I have toiled hard at in-person and online auctions to accumulate everything for them, tongue-in-cheek. But the truth of the matter is, for some of you, will they run the business the way I did? Will they take care of everything that I worked hard to achieve and acquire? Will they spend it the way I would spend it? Or will they be spendthrifts? and run through that money that it took me 40 years to put together? These are hard questions. Will they appreciate everything that I've done for them? There are so many questions about life, aren't there? Ecclesiastes is in many ways a very real and at times a very raw book in which Solomon intentionally Get this, intentionally raises the unanswered questions of life because he wants to invite us to wrestle with them too. And so that leads me to a second truth. Solomon had many questions about life, but he didn't always have answers, and nor do we. I want to be completely honest with you today. And I want to say to you, I don't like unanswered questions. I want explanations. I want to know why things happen, and I want to know why they don't. If you know me well, and many of you do, you know that I tend toward optimism in life. I'm not a big fan of conflict. I don't like surprises, even when they're fun surprises. I do my level best to figure out what's happening around me. Somehow it got past me that there would be a surprise for my birthday. I soon settled in, it was okay, but I would have preferred to know about the surprise before I was surprised. I love a good plan, and I expect it to be followed. I want life to make sense. I want good things to happen to good people. I want everyone to know and follow Jesus. People I know and the people I don't. I want everyone to live to a ripe old age and when they die, to die with the assurance of their salvation and that they will live forever with Jesus in heaven. I like order. I do not like chaos. I want to fix whatever is broken I like to know what's going on all around me. I like answers. I'm so bad that even if it's midnight on December 24th, if every package we wrap doesn't have a ribbon and bow on it, I go and do that because I like everything to be wrapped up just so. And that's the way I like it in life. Life isn't like that, is it? Life isn't like that. One of the hardest sermons I preached in my 36 years of ministry is this one. Because I don't have all the answers for you. And I never will. We can't always walk on the sunny side of the street. Conflict is part of life. Surprises happen. The best laid plans, you know this one? The best laid plans of? Too often life doesn't make sense. Bad things happen to good people and as Solomon has written, wicked people are treated as though they were good. People do reject Jesus. For the life of me, I can't figure that out. People do reject Jesus. It breaks every part of every part of my heart. People die young. Some people don't go to heaven. There is more chaos than order. Broken things cannot always be fixed and sometimes broken people don't want to be. For these and many other reasons, I have concluded it's a mad, mad world. Can't be explained. Can't be accounted for. Which brings us back to the question that began this sermon. How shall we then live in this mad, mad world where life doesn't always make sense. Would you read that with me? Reading together. How shall we then live in this mad, mad world where life doesn't always make sense? I'm glad you asked me that question this morning. Because here's what I've learned as I've studied Ecclesiastes and read it through and read it through and read it through and read it through. through. I've learned that Solomon had many questions. He didn't always have answers, but he always had God. He always had God. At the end of Ecclesiastes, after a thorough search to understand life when life didn't make sense, Solomon draws our attention in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, to this truth. Read it with me, reading together. The conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon concluded that apart from a living, saving relationship with God, this indeed is a mad, mad world. But Solomon, in the midst of come what may in life, decided that there was really only one way to live life. And that is in a living, saving relationship with God. To fear him and to keep his commandments. Friends, fear is not to have an awful dread of God. Oh my goodness, he's going to lower the divine hammer. If I say one thing wrong, do one thing wrong, step out of line fail to follow the laws of man, then God is going to, just like I would a fly on my kitchen table. That's not who God is. That's not who the gracious, loving, heavenly Father is. That's not who the Son Jesus is, who went to the cross and died in your place and my place for our sins because he knew we could not pay for our sins. He paid them. And then on the third day he arose again from the tomb victorious, victor over sin and death and evil. And on the 40th day after his resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven and he doesn't sit there with a divine hammer ready to bring it down as soon as we step out of line. He sits there with this incredible love that embraces every one of us and the gift of salvation offered to every one of us that if we will confess with our mouth Jesus the Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Amen? Amen. And it's that relationship, it's that relationship that Solomon settled on and said, come what may in life, no matter the circumstances, though I may never understand many of the answers to these questions of life, this one thing I know to be true God loves me. And God cares for me as a shepherd carries his sheep. He wants me to trust him, to follow him, to surrender my life to him, to become his. And when we do that, Solomon says, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24, 25, and 26, when we do that, God graciously gives us two gifts. First, the gift of contentment, and secondly, the gift of joy. I want you to see contentment in verses 24 and 25 of Ecclesiastes 2. Never there does he even use the word, but it is all over these two verses. This is what Solomon writes. So I decided then there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction and work, then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Do you know what the definition of contentment is? Contentment means to be satisfied with what you have and to stop wanting more. Solomon reached a point in his life where he was literally striving and fighting with question after question and concern after concern and he couldn't get the answers and he couldn't make sense of this world and finally god said would you just be content in me take each day and look at it and and be grateful for the food you have the drink you have the satisfaction you found in that day and In the work of that day, just enjoy what you have instead of striving and wanting more and more and more, especially when there's nothing more to be had. I'm an only child. On the Sigmund side, I'm an only grandchild. On my mother's side, I'm the last in a line of five grandchildren. The next youngest is 22 years older than me. And so essentially, I was an only grandchild in both sides of the family, an only child at home. Some people said I was spoiled. I never saw that in myself at all. <laughs> never. Now, I had a, just kind of a hint of it here, me not wanting to share my Wilbur buds, but it's only a pound, so, I mean, you had to protect what you have. But, you know, I'm not spoiled. But every Christmas on the way to York to my mother's home, I would get the same lecture from the front seat. Now, when we get there, you know everybody's going to have a gift for you, which I was really happy about. Yeah, I know, (laughs) I'm the youngest one. Everybody's going to have a gift for me. Do not tear into those gifts, and do not tear into one after another. Open the first gift, Mother would say, and look at that gift, and smile, and look the person in the eye who gave you the gift, and say, thank you very much, and then open the box, if there's a box, and look at what's inside the box and be grateful for it. And I'm sitting in the back seat thinking, my word, we only have an evening. I mean, this is going to take forever if I do all this. Because you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to rip into that gift and rip into this gift and rip into that gift and rip into this gift. And sometimes I wonder if our Father in heaven needs to, from the front seat, give us some instructions about how to enjoy the gifts he's given us. Be grateful for what you have. In 1995, my best friend died. His sister is here. His name was Brett Hershey. He died of leukemia. He was the music director in our church in Baltimore, a supremely talented musician, head of the early childhood music at Peabody in Baltimore. He was 31. He and I were really good friends, and that was true for Brett and Jenny and me together. Spent a lot of time together. Till I go to heaven, I will wrestle with that. But his dear mother and father, his dear mother has taught me a very important lesson in life. I'm grateful for Carolyn Hershey. Every card she sends to me or to Jenny and me, and she sends a lot, has written in the card this phrase. Each day is a gift. I've learned more from that simple phrase than entire books about living life. Contentment is to learn that every gift God has give, every day God has given us is a gift. Enjoy it and be grateful for the pleasures of that day. Be thankful. And then when the calendar page turns, be grateful for that day as well. The first gift that God gives us is contentment. But there's one more. In verse 26, Solomon says, I also learned this. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy, and joy to those who please him. When you trust in the Lord with all of your heart even though you may face as we all do life that doesn't make sense questions that will never be answered God will give you a gift called joy you talk to him out loud voice to him the questions you have the concerns you have wrestle with him And though he may not give you the answers, he will always give you his joy. Now, let me explain something to you. Joy is not happiness, laughter, and smiles. That is not biblical joy. Not at all. This is a stumbling block for a lot of people who read the Bible because they read joy and they think, oh my goodness, that means laughter, happiness, smiles. And then they get to Philippians 4.4 4, and it says, rejoice in Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. And they say, there's no way. Of course there's no way. Of course there's no way. My goodness, I've lived enough life to know that there are times in life where I am in tears, where I am brokenhearted, where I am not smiling, where I am not laughing. Because biblical joy is not happiness, laughter, and smiles. Here's what biblical joy is. This is the best definition I have found in, in my years of ministry. Joy is the deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of my life. That's biblical joy. Can you rejoice from the Lord always? And I say it again, rejoice? Yes, you can. When joy is a deep, settled confidence that come what may, no matter what circumstances you face in life or that I face in life, we can have confidence that God is in control of the details of our life. And so, when we struggle with the questions for which there seem to be no answers, when we wrestle with the concerns that seem to have no resolution on this side of eternity, friends, please do it out loud, do it often, do it in the very presence of God, Because if you know him as Savior and Lord of your life, if you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then while he may not give you all the answers you want to life, he will give you contentment and he will give you joy. And you will have the confidence that he is in control of the details of your life. The sinner, the one who refuses to acknowledge God, the one who refuses to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. According to Solomon in verse 26, life is hollow. You acquire, you accumulate, you leave it all behind, and there's nothing more for you. But when you know Jesus, you have life here, and you have a new life waiting for you over there. I love how people say, Well, I have questions, and I'm going to ask him when I get there. Well, I do too. And I write them down on little slips of paper. Do you think I'll remember to take those with me? I can't remember lunch on a Monday morning. I'm not going to remember to take my questions with me. And do you honestly think that when we go into heaven, we see Jesus face to face, and the first thing we say is, now hold on a minute, I have some questions I have to ask you. Do you honestly think that? Do you honestly think that? No, I don't either. So I want to ask you a question today. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? How are you living in this mad, mad world where life doesn't always make sense? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? I have to be honest with you. I don't know how I'd live in this world if it were not... For the living, saving faith I have in Jesus Christ. He makes life worth living. Oh man, he does. If that's true for you, you can say yes now. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you that Solomon, that you allowed Solomon, that you, you instructed Solomon to not only talk to you in such real, raw ways, but then you told him to write it down so it wouldn't be lost, so we would have it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the permission to ask the hard questions, to voice the deep concerns. Thank you, that even when we don't have the answers to our strivings, we have you. We have you. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, I ask you again, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? As we work our way through Ecclesiastes, the message is over and over and over again, there is no meaning in life, there is no purpose in life, there is no satisfaction in life if you are not fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? As you sit here, do you know with confidence that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you have been given a new life from Jesus? Do you know that someday you will live forever with him in heaven? Because if you do not have that confidence, then this morning I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And where you are to come to the end of your journey, the search that you've been on, the seeking that you've been after, And where you are seated right now to pray a prayer of surrender and salvation, to commit your life to Jesus Christ and to decide to follow him. If that's your desire, if you want to pray this morning to receive Jesus and surrender your life to him, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite you to just slip up your hand and in doing so you're saying, Pastor Mike, I'm ready to make that decision this morning. I'm ready to pray and surrender my life to Christ. Are there any who would do that this morning? Online, you can click raise a hand, and one of our chat hosts will speak to you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord Jesus. Are there any? Just slip your hand up and so do and say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I invite you, if that's your desire, to pray this prayer. Jesus, I confess this morning that you are Lord and Savior. There is no other. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. You are alive. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin, and please take it away. I turn away from my sinful life, and I turn to you, Jesus, and choose today to follow you And surrender my life to you thank you for hearing my prayer thank you for giving to me the gift of a new life and of the gift of salvation thank you Jesus for the assurance that someday I will live forever with you in heaven thank you for washing away my sin Jesus I commit my life to you. In your name I pray. Lord, I thank you that in your word, the spirit of God is already at work in the hearts and lives of those who prayed that prayer of salvation and surrendered at the end of their searching and seeking. I pray, Father, that you would then give us opportunity to work with each one who this weekend has professed faith in you to help them to grow deeply in their relationship with you. And for every one of us who have walked with you, in some cases, for a year or two or 40 or 50 years. Father, I pray that you'll help us to break silence out loud often. Ask you the questions we have, but then be satisfied with the joy that you give. And It's in your name we pray with thanksgiving. And all the people said, Amen.
1: Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community
0: Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.